Hi, I'm Christine, and welcome to the 5 Foot 5 and Growing Podcast, a podcast where I dig deep, do some difficult self-reflection, try to learn from my past, all the while trying to become the woman I want to be, whoever she is. I haven't figured that out yet, hence the podcast. So please join me on this new journey of discovery and hopefully growth. Figuratively, of course, I'm 5 foot 5 inches tall. That doesn't mean I still can't grow. Welcome back to the latest episode of the 5 Foot 5 and Growing Podcast. This is Christine. How's everybody doing? Well, it's Friday, May 22nd, 2020, in case anybody is wondering what the day of the week is. Ooh. So we're, what, I think we're day 73 of coronavirus shutdown-ness in New York, I believe. Or close to it, somewhere around there. Uh, What's been going on with me? Well, the last episode, uh, I talked about how worried I was. Uh, I had to get swab for the coronavirus me and my nephew turns out our tests were negative unfortunately for both of us um, it took 10 days to get the results so it was a nerve-wracking 10 days after calls and emails and finally got our results and we were able to go back to work so we were quarantined For two weeks. It was an interesting experience. To be honest with you. Even though I had. Symptoms. And the test came out negative. I still know why I felt like crap. For that first week. Um, I'm not sure. The lightheadedness. And the headache. And the fatigue. Like the fatigue. And the shortness of breath. Um. But now, because of that one scare, I now have a a pulse ox. I got a th- the thermometer. I got a blood pressure cuff. Uh, what else? I feel like I have a whole like Walgreens now, so I should be set if something else comes down the pike. Um, as far as everything else is going, I went back to work on Thursday this week. So yesterday, um, it's pretty good. I I didn't miss work per se. I miss being able to leave the house. Um, but I didn't really miss work. Didn't really want to go back, but you know, bills and such. Um, been trying to do a little exercising. Uh, the last episode mentioned getting some home equipment, because uh, I'm not going back to the gym, even though I live in New York State, and Governor Cuomo has not allowed gyms to reopen yet, uh, I don't foresee me going back to Planet Fitness anytime soon, so I bought some stuff for the house, I was going to transform our basement into my workout area, and I probably will once the weather gets hot, but right now it's all in my bedroom. But I've been, uh, I bought these, um, they're called Liebert 
equalizer bars, or I guess they're basically uh, parallel bars, but they're taller. I don't have the strength to do all the fancy, spancy moves that I've seen on YouTube, but I can do pull-up, or I can do push-ups, and I can do um, tricep dips, sort of. So I've been doing that the last couple of nights before bed. Um, I actually was able to do some sit-ups until the hernia incision area started to hurt. So I didn't want to pull something or tweak something. So I stopped. But I was doing pretty good. I was surprised. But that's definitely going to... I'm going to have to revisit that soon. Because it's going to be a problem. I know I have very weak abs um, due to the heftiness of my tummy, but um, I'm looking forward to doing the workout stuff. It's supposed to be 80 plus degrees here next week. Most people are probably happy about it. I am not. Um, mostly because if it's 80 degrees, that means... The temperature won't dip low enough at night for me to sleep comfortably in my very warm bedroom. My very un-air-conditioned bedroom. So when I see 85 degrees consecutively for days, a little anxiety kicks in. Because now I gotta, I got to dig out the fan and sleep with less blankets, which sucks because I like the actual heaviness of blankets. At least with the warmer weather, I can walk. So my plan is next week is to walk after work. Because it'll be nice and warm. And I don't think there's any rain in our forecast. I don't think. It's raining right now. So you may hear that in the background. I'm sorry. I was going to try to close the window, but it's just way too hot in here for me to do that. So, that's a small update of what's going on with me. I wanted to talk about, um, and that is my co-star, Bear. Bear the cat. It's his midnight snack time, so he's hungry. Sorry about that. Um... I've been really thinking about, well, a lot, because there's a pandemic, Um, but something that struck me recently, I've been pondering it, and I haven't really had anyone to discuss it with, so I'm just going to kind of talk about it tonight. We make a big fuss, or we make a focus in society about you know, loving yourself. You gotta love yourself first before anybody else loves you, right? That's the saying. Um, or the beginning lyric to Mary J. Blige is, be happy is, how can I love somebody else if I can't love myself enough to know? I could keep going, but... 
And that's a big sticking point. And whenever someone does something detrimental or maybe not good for them, we chalk it up to that person not loving themselves enough to change their behavior or stop their bad behaviors and such. I've always taken an issue with that um, notion. Like, you just need to love yourself more. Like, it's always been, like, a, a stickler for me. Like, a, it irks me. It irks me a ton. Because the assumption is... Like, I'll, I'll take me, for example. The assumption is I'm chubby because I don't love myself. If I truly loved me, I would put forth the effort to change, right? That's the thought process. I want to look at it a different way. Um, shout out to my friend Amy. When we were in high school, or college? High school. One of the two. Um, I went over to her house, and I can't remember the scenario or what happened. But I remember her mom saying something like, I love you. I just don't like you right now. Or I'll always love you. I just don't like you right now. And like I said, I don't remember the context, which I probably should. But um, I don't remember if she was joking or, you know, kind of just poking the bear a little bit. I can't remember. But the words always stuck with me. Like, I'll always love you. But I just don't like you right now. And that fits so many different things. You know, when you're annoyed with someone, you know, a parent, a loved one, a spouse, a significant other, a friend, you know, that love for you, it runs deep. But they may do something or say something that makes you not like them in that given moment or at that period of time. Well, I've been thinking about the love yourself angle or thought process because that's what all the self-help encouragement, you know, Instagram people talk about. I think I mentioned it before, I can't remember, but, well, two things. You tell people, you know, if somebody, if somebody posts something online that sounds sad or depressed or Debbie Downer, negative Nancy, you know, either about their weight or personal life and the usual response is you need to love yourself more and and we always focus on that that's the advice is well you don't love yourself you need to love yourself more and I remember some years ago when I was in the dark place 
I I had had one of those emotional, you know, vent posts. And somebody was like, well, you know, you just need to love yourself more and stop worrying about what other people think and have some confidence in yourself and so on and so forth. And my simple reply was, how? How do you, how do you love yourself? We talk about it all the time. We mention it. It's a catchphrase. It's, you know, it's... It's a coined phrase at this point. It's a go-to for so many people. like, And people think that they're saying something so poignant. You just need to love, your, love yourself more. Or she don't love herself. She wouldn't act like that if she loved herself. But you're assuming people know how to. If someone's in a dark place, or if someone is going through something traumatic, or if someone's dealing with something difficult. Life is hard, right? We all go through something at some point, whether it's work, family, personal life, so on and so forth. But simply telling someone to love themselves, you're assuming that they know how. And when you're dealing with life, it's difficult to know how. It's difficult to see how to see your way out of it. How? How does one love themselves? Is that a subjective answer or is that an objective answer? Is it something concrete, that a plan that we could all follow? Or does it have to be based upon the individual? Also, Let me, let me take a, a different approach. The old adage or the old advice for young ladies, dating advice, was to find a guy who treats his mom really well. And it was like, if he treats his mom well, he'll treat you well. That was the thought process. Unfortunately, that's not true. Because there's plenty of guys who love their moms and treat their moms well. But they also treat the women in their lives like crap. And it has nothing to do with their relationship with their mom. It has everything to do with the example or lack thereof of how a man is supposed to treat his lady in their lives, right? So if they didn't have a good example... It doesn't matter how he, the kid, treated his mom. If the the little boy grew into a man who never saw a positive role model when it came to interacting with someone that you're in a committed relationship with, right? We all need role models. Whether it's a kid, whether you're you know, a mentor in the workplace. We all need someone, in a sense, to teach us the way to go or to guide us on the path that we're on. And if you don't have a good mentor or if you don't have a mentor at all and you're just learning as you go, so to speak, 
that can lend itself to some bumpy, if not treacherous actions in your future. Everyone talks about, you know, boys, little boys, teenage boys need a positive male influence in their lives. Why is that? So they can see how you're supposed to be, how a you know, quote-unquote man is supposed to act, how they're supposed to take care of their family, how they're supposed to take care of themselves, grooming and such. The, the, the thought process is a man can only teach a boy to become a man. A woman can't teach a boy how to be a man. That's the thought process, right? Well, if we're going to follow that thought process, that has to follow into loving yourself. If you don't have a good role model, if you don't have anyone to teach you love, how in the world are you supposed to love yourself? Like, I'm genuinely asking. If you, say, for instance, you're a kid who came from a two-parent household, but it wasn't the best household. Say, you know, you never needed anything. You weren't poor. You weren't rich, but you weren't poor. You know, you, you got most everything you wanted as a kid within reason. But your pops was distant. Never came to your, you know, t-ball games. Worked a lot. How do you think that's going to translate? You didn't see that person show you all the assets or all the aspects, excuse me, of love. They provided for you. They took care of you. They kept you, you know, clothed and fed. But that distant father who wasn't around but technically was around, he came home every night after working long days. How did that show you love? Or I'll take it another angle. Say you're the mom in that scenario. And the mom is overly critical. And nothing that that kid, as they grew, was right. Always nitpicking, always critical. Always finding, you know, a flaw. Questioning how you, how and why you did things, right? It's hard to form a good base of confidence when you're constantly being critiqued. So, you know, that mom in that scenario says that they love you. But the, the only love that you witnessed was critique. Having to live up to a certain standard that you never amounted to. So how is the kid in that scenario supposed to grow to love themselves? When the person who's teaching them about life is nothing but highly critical. But that person, that kid, grows up, goes off to school, meets a girl that they like, but can't fully be the man that she needs or wants because he can't love her properly. He knows what to do as far as 
you know, social cues and things he's seen on TV and such and things he's learned from people over the years, but he doesn't truly know how to love because he never truly saw a good version of it. He knows parts, maybe. I say all that to say, we make this focus on loving yourself. But we don't talk about how. And if you get to a certain point in your life where you've lived, you've seen some things, you've been through some things, you've had losses, you've had successes, you've had failures. How do you love yourself through the ebbs and flows of your life? If you don't have any, if your your foundation is shaky. I mean, hopefully you learn as you go, but there's no guarantee in that. Plenty of people age, but that doesn't mean that they are learning. Emotional intelligence is difficult to learn. You know, unless you take a psychology class or a human sociology class or, you know, anything along those lines. Human behavior. Emotional, having emotional intelligence. Having self-awareness. Emotional intelligence is taught. Self-awareness. I I won't say it's something you're born with, but it kind of is. Unless you have therapy for either of those instances. Unless you've had therapy or someone has broken it down to you. But emotional intelligence helps you learn how your actions affect other people. Learn your emotions and how your emotions manifest themselves. Like, for instance, when I was in college, if I had a bad day, like, I wouldn't come home and slam doors and so on and so forth. If I had a bad day, subconsciously, I always wanted to do something nice for somebody else. It's weird. And the thing is, when I was 20 years old, maybe 21, and I didn't realize that I did this, but I would have a rough day, end up going to like Target or Wegmans or the grocery store, putzing around through the store, and then I would buy my roommate, you know, Starburst jelly beans, because I know she loves those, or buy my other roommate. Milk duds, because I know he loves those. Like, I would always find a way to buy something for someone else, even though I had this crap day. And it wasn't until my friend was like, do you realize whenever you have a bad day, like, you always try to do something nice for someone else? And I was like, huh. I don't think I do that. Do I really do that? And then I replayed it all and went over it with her. And she's like, yeah. It's like you funnel that negativity into something positive. So you're trying to make someone else's day better. 
I had no clue I was doing that. I was also 21 years old. That right there was a lesson. And that's one of the things it taught me. I had a group, a small core group of friends. And we learned together, talking it out and working through things. And they were the ones who taught me different things and helped me in my education of emotional intelligence. But without that, who knows where I would have, you know, veered down. If you don't, if you're not shown how to love, how to love through difficult times, how to love during great times, how to love on just a regular Tuesday, just a random Tuesday, we need to focus more not on loving ourselves, but it's how to love. And the second thing is, do you even like yourself? We focus so much on loving, or the phrase loving yourself. I don't think that's the issue that most people have when they have destructive behavior or um, anything like that. I honestly think A lot of people don't like themselves. And that brings me back to the original quote in my friend's parents. I'll always love you. I just don't like you right now. I think a lot of us love the core of who we are. But we don't like certain parts of ourselves. And those parts that we don't like ruin it for the rest of us. But as a society, as a culture, we're so focused on that phrase of loving yourself that we really don't examining, we really don't examine whether or not we like who we are as people. A few years ago, when I lived in Georgia, um, I spent a lot of time with one of my friends and um, this topic came up. And he could poke the bear like no one else. But he made a joke about, because I was complaining about my weight. And even though I was probably 50 pounds lighter than what I am today, I was still overweight. But he made a joke like, you know, you just need to love yourself more. Because he knows how much I hate that phrase. And I remember one day just snapping. And I was like, you know what? I hate that phrase. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I said, how can you or anyone look at me and say that I don't love myself? How? How can what what justifies that? Because I'm chubby. It's like, how can I not love myself? I get up every day, I do my hair, I brush my teeth, I go to work. How how does one not love themselves? I don't like parts of me. But I love me. I was like, there's parts of me that I absolutely love. Think are phenomenal. There are also parts of me that I don't like. 
And, you know, I think he realized that I was taking it more seriously than his poke the bear joke. But that that interaction always stuck with me because I was the one time recently that I like blew up at the love yourself remark. Like, I love me. I just don't like parts of myself and the parts of myself that I don't like. Unfortunately for me, they show themselves in my weight. And that's a cross that I have to bear. But I hate people focusing on the love aspect. I don't think a lot of people like themselves. You know, when we were kids, or at least when I was a kid, kids today might not get it, but You know, you're in a sandbox playing and a boy comes up and pushes you over or punches you in the arm. And, you know, parents or teachers or someone older would be like, oh, that's the way he shows, you know, he must really like you. And you're looking around confused and like, but he just pushed me out the sandbox. So if he liked me, why would he push me? Oh... You know, just some boys or whatever. That's just how boys are, you know. When they like you, they do stuff like that. When you're little, right? How come we don't apply that to adult behavior? Follow me. Say my body is the little girl playing in the sandbox. And my weight, my overeating at times, or my poor food choices, is me, is me doing harm to the person I love. But it's my way of showing myself that I like me, if you get what I'm saying. Like, I am, I'm an emotional eater. If I have a bad day, I eat. If I have a good day, I eat. If I have a great day, like, I want to eat and celebrate. I like good food. I like to try foods. Or, I guess, different versions of my favorite foods. Like, what if... What if my self-sabotage behavior... Is the little boy pushing me down in a sandbox? I know it's an odd analogy, but just just follow me. We're going to work through this together. Like, I'm not trying to hurt me deliberately. But food is the way I show my love. We're going to make it racial for a second. So, my family is all from the South. Southern hospitality thing is somebody comes to your house, you offer them a drink, you offer them food, right? Whatever you have, you throw it out there. Can I fix you a plate? I got this piece of pie. 
I got some cookies. Whatever you got, you offer it. You show your love through that food. So when you go to someone's house and you say no to their offering, you're basically saying no to them. It's, you know, it's unpolite to turn down, you know, an offer. Yeah, you just ate, sure. But, you know, Aunt so-and-so just offers you a piece of her red velvet cake. Well, damn it, you're going to take a piece of that cake. It's funny how that translates. Like, there's not a black mom or dad that I know that doesn't use food as a way to show their love. Right? That was the whole point of Soul Food. (laughs) The movie. Um, So it's funny or ironic that in, in our culture, you know, giving someone food, making someone food is a sign of love. But as soon as someone eats a little too much of that food, even though it's being offered, all of a sudden it's a moral failing on the person who eats the food. So why isn't it why why isn't the same logic applied to somebody like me who I'm basically showing hospitality to myself by offering myself some of my favorite foods. Unfortunately for me, my favorite foods happen to be fattening. But the the theory still applies, right? One of my aunts, my Aunt Mary, she made the best homemade ice cream. Actually, Homemade ice cream, cake, everything at her house always tasted phenomenal. But she made this homemade, just plain old vanilla ice cream. And it was the best ice cream I've ever had in my entire life. And it was the old school crank ice cream maker. But it was it was the best. The best. Just vanilla ice cream. And not in a bowl. She would get, you know, go to the store and buy the little cones and scoop it. Vanilla is undefeated. I don't care what anybody says. It's underrated and it's undefeated. It's phenomenal. Anywho, whenever she, whenever we came down south to visit, that was her go-to. She would give me a big hug and a kiss. I'm going to make your favorite. I'm going to make your ice cream for you. And I'm like, yes. Like, I know you love it. I'm going to make it for you. Okay, sweetheart. Yes, thank you. Appreciate it. Good looking out. And that was her way of doing something nice for me. And that was her way of showing love to me. Now, the sad part is, as a kid, it was perfectly fine. As I grew older and became lactose intolerant, it sucked. But I still ate her ice cream. Bubble guts be damned. My other aunt, also named Mary, on my dad's side, every Christmas, when we would go down south to Mobile for Christmas, holiday 
winter break. My aunt Mary, my dad's sister, would always buy me, you know, the metal tins. I thought I, t- I think I talked about this before, but maybe not. The metal tins with the, the butter, the cheese, and the caramel or caramel popcorn. I think like every year for like 10 years, she got me one of those for Christmas. And I loved it. Like it, it rarely made it home, or at least not the the caramel corn. Never made it back. I usually ate that first because that's my favorite. But that was her way of showing love. I didn't get games. I didn't get any other. That was just that seven ninety nine tin of popcorn, and I was the happiest clam in the world. A couple years ago, Secret Santa at the office. Um. One of my coworkers had bought that, and we did. Or what? It wasn't Secret Santa. It was um. We played. I don't know what it's called. The ele- white elephant game, something like that. Whatever those cheesy office Christmas pass the gifts around uh, musical chairs kind of thing. Well, at the end of it, you know, whatever gift you had, that was yours. And it was, you know, in this big, huge holiday gift bag. And I took the wrapper off of it and I saw that metal tin. I immediately started to cry. And I ran over to her and I gave her the biggest hug. And everybody looked at me like I was crazy. And I probably was crazy. But it was just the the nostalgia of my childhood. And that one moment, <clears throat> excuse me. And I know she didn't buy it for me intentionally. It just, when the music stopped, that's the gift I had. But it just, it brought me back to that gift that my Aunt Mary got for me. We show things, we show our love through food. But as soon as you love food too much, like I said, it becomes some type of moral moral failure. Or at least in my book it does. Or in my case. I really don't think we focus on liking who we are as people. I think that needs to be the focus. I think if people really thought about it, really examined who they are, like, do you like yourself? Like, truly, do you like yourself? Do you like all the parts of you? The parts of who you are. Not what you look like. Who you are. The core of who you are. That even if you were, you know, supermodel fit tomorrow, do you like who you are as a person? How has life shaped you into the person that you currently are? And do you like what you've changed into as life has continued to happen to you? 
These are the things that I've been pondering lately. My nephew today. Um, without going into specific details. Um, my, my brother and my nephew's mom. He was an accident. Most kids are, but it was just a one-time thing, and she became pregnant, and out came my nephew. So, um, you know, it's screwed. His mom's not the best, and she was determined to keep him. Even though she struggled, even though she battled some things, she was still his mom. And they bounced from apartment to apartment. And at one point, I think he was like three, two or three maybe, maybe four, I can't remember. Um... His, his mom's family called us and wanted to, like, meet and basically kind of survivor tribunal to figure out how to get the kid away from her and have one of us raise him as our own, so to speak. Now, I was either fresh out of college. Yeah, I was fresh out of college. And mom's would have been 50. Yeah, mom's would have just turned 50 or somewhere, somewhere close to that. So his grandma, his, his mom's grandma, his mom's mom, she was older and obviously couldn't take care of him, but, um, she had sister and brother, I believe. And they were willing to take him, but they lived out in the sticks. Like, the sticks. And I don't think the biracial kid with curly hair was going to fit in out there. At least that was my vote. Um, my mom was like, we'll take him. At least he'll be here, you know, his dad's nearby. At the time, I lived in Buffalo, so I'm like, well, you can come hang out with me for weekends and so on and so forth. But nothing ever came of it. But we were talking today because we were going to the grocery store, and I'm just telling him this story. Because he said something about his mom not helping him out, and... He had to grow up without having a, you know, not a wealthy family, but a, you know, well-to-do or well-enough-to-do where you can just ask your parents for money and give it to you kind of life. Not the, let me see, you know, if I get my check or wait till the first to, like, you know, not that kind of scenario. Just a middle-class I'm going to the mall with my friends. Can I get cash to go to the mall? He didn't have that life. He didn't have the life I had. 
where you did like some chores and you got an allowance. He didn't. He didn't have that. So we were talking about that, and I said, "Well, you wouldn't be the person that you are had you not lived with her. If you'd have come, you know, live with us, or if you." to come live with grandma or even your dad you wouldn't have turned out and he's like no I think I would still be the same person I said you know mm -mm." you don't think I would be the same person I said the things that you go through in life shape who you become I said the person you are now is because you had it was just you and your mom and you watched your mom struggle and fight external demons and internal demons and scrape and move you know house to house apartment apartment to all these different schools and missing school and I said do you really think I said if you were if I would have taken you in or even if grandma and granddad this is before pops died I said if they had taken you in I said you're 20 I said, you'd be a junior in college right now. And he's like, you think I'd be in school? I said, yeah. If grandma and grandpa raised you, yeah, you would be in college. You would definitely be in college. Or the armed forces, one of the two. I said, you would be a completely different person. And he's like, nah, 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 nah. And I said, okay, I'm telling you, I've lived 20 more years on this earth longer than you. I'm telling you, who you are is shaped by the things that you go through. Yeah, there's a core. There's a core person there. But things veer off. Things change. As life around you changes, you change. I said, I'm not the same person I was before your dad died. I'm not the same person that was before my pops died. I said, things change you. Yeah, you know, the core of who I am is still the same, I think. But I said, you know, I don't want to give you the cliche answer, but you just got to live a little bit longer. I'm telling you. you you've, you've been through a lot in your 20 years. And I'm telling you right now, you would not be the person that you are. And he fought with me about it. And I was like, okay, all right, you don't have to believe me. I said, but I'm telling you, you wouldn't be the person you are. I said, you wouldn't be the person you are now in the last two years. You've been through things and you've lived. I said, you've changed in two years, let alone you know, how you grew up. But I say all that to say, honestly, I don't remember where I was going with it. Damn. There was a point in there. There was a point. Shucks. I lost it that fast. Things shape who you are. I don't know. Maybe it'll come to me. Oh, wait. Oh, I think it was about liking who you are. 
I don't know. In between our conversation, I was like, you're not the same person. I said, do you like who you are as a person? And he was like, well, yeah, you know. You know, I like my swag and so on. And it's all superficial stuff. Because he's 20. But. I just. This might be a two part series. I really don't think a lot of people. Like who they are. And those. Those. Dislikes shape us into who we are or how we cope with things. And the funny part is the things that we don't like about ourselves don't always manifest themselves in negatives. I'll give you an example. So I got a, a friend of mine from college that I don't talk to very often, but her story still applies. So she was a chubby kid. Like, just, you know, toddler up. Just a chubby kid. And all that comes with being a chubby girl, too. Magically... Or not magically, but by the time they get to college, they finally figured out a way to knock it down to get a handle on it. But being teased and being made fun of mercilessly as a kid, that manifested itself into them being an overachiever in the classroom so the things that they could control they knocked it out of the park the one thing they couldn't control until college or towards the end of college was their weight so they said okay you know what this negative thing about me it manifested itself into them being the most ambitious go-getter Which, in the corporate world, in the career setting, is fantastic. Here's a project. Boom. Knock it out. All the T's are going to be crossed. All the I's are going to be dotted. It's going to be perfect. So her childhood made her into a successful adult. But never wanting to to being overly controlling to the point where everything had to be great, everything had to be perfect everything had to be, you know there's a space for everything and everything in its place kind of thing so that's how one way not liking part of who you are turns itself into a positive in another aspect of their lives which is perfect for her she grew up or from the things I see on Facebook very successful person it doesn't always work that way but it can for some but that's it comes back to emotional intelligence and self-awareness 
So, in her instance, she didn't like an aspect of herself. So she vowed to make other aspects of herself fantastic. Except for the one that she really wanted to change. She couldn't until later on. But a piece of her is still that chubby kid. Even though she's nowhere near chubby at all in 2020. But 20 years ago when we were in college, that wasn't the case. But there's still... What motivates her is that chubby kid. Because she still doesn't like that part of herself. Even though that that chubby kid's gone. It's still that mindset or that, that feeling of being neglected or rejected or made fun of. It still lingers and it pushes her. And, you know, from the outside looking in, you would think, oh, well, it works, right? She's successful. She makes a lot of money. She's married now. But is she happy? I don't know. I can't answer that. Like, but does her drive to be perfect or not perfect, but successful? Is that, even though it's a positive, is it still masking some deep, you know, some deep feelings that she's trying to repress? I don't know. That's a little too much analyzation into that one person that I knew 20 years ago. But I'm just saying that as an example. Like, I harp on myself because I've been chubby for 20 years. And I haven't been able to fix that. But unfortunately for me, I don't, in her, in the example case, I haven't been able to take that negative and turn it into a positive in other aspects. Or at least. Career-wise, I haven't. Personality-wise, probably. I'm probably funnier because of it. I'm a little bit more well-read, or at least as a kid, I was a little bit more well-read than other kids my age because I just read books back then. I don't do that now. I don't have the attention span. Damn smartphones. But... Do you like yourself? Do you like who you are? If the answer to that question is no, why? Why don't you like yourself? Or what about you don't you like? Can you, can you answer why you don't like yourself? Or parts of yourself? Because it's evident. It's evident in a lot of people. And that's where the emotional intelligence comes in. Because you can spot it. You can spot behaviors. You can spot tendencies. 
I'll expound on that in one moment. So, do you know why you don't like yourself? Can you spot in other people that they don't like parts themselves? I think I've developed that skill to spot the weaknesses in people and not for my own personal gain but it comes from self-awareness and emotional intelligence when you're uh, when you're a shy kid coupled with the fact that your parents are relatively strict coupled with the fact that you don't really want to socialize with a lot of people because they're going to make fun of you. You sit around people a lot quietly and you observe. At least I did. And I observed a lot of human behavior, mostly from my family. Because I have a really, 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 really large family. But a lot of it was from my friends and and people that I worked with, too. And spotting spotting people's, I don't want to say weaknesses, but I don't know the other word for it. I don't know. I don't know the word for it. I feel like I'm picking people apart, and maybe that's my critical upbringing rearing its ugly head, but it doesn't it doesn't take much for me to read people. Um, your body language and the things you say and how you say certain things tells a lot about yourself. A lot of people tell themselves unknowingly. And it sucks knowing certain human behaviors and what they mean because once you see it in another person it can turn you off well unless it's a positive they can turn you on and that's that's a story for another day but um actually no it's not it's not a story for another day so the friend that I mentioned before the poke the bear love yourself joke friend I'm not sure if I told this story. So, he is thoughtful. And I say that I don't take that lightly. Most, not to generalize, but I'm going to generalize. Most men aren't thoughtful. Unless they want something out of it. You know what I mean? But to just inherently pay attention, retain it, and then regurgitate it back out at a completely different time is a different level of thoughtfulness that most men don't have. Actually, most people, but we're going to stick with men for this story. So, um, that thoughtfulness works as a 
plus and a minus. It's a plus because they remember that you love Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. And they get you a giant Reese's Peanut Butter Cup for your birthday. So that's one way of thoughtfulness, paying attention, works in your favor. The downside to it is, is because they are thoughtful and pay attention, they also spot, you know, your own behaviors. So this one time we were having a discussion and I didn't like where it was going. And I'm not a confrontational person. I don't like to argue. Like, argue, argue. Um, I usually have a lot to say. I don't say it. Um, I usually start and then I stop and muffle myself. Why I do that is literally a podcast for another day. But I do. I shut down. Because either I don't want to say something that I'm going to regret or I'm going to say something that's going to hurt your feelings or it's not worth it to keep going back and forth. Any one of those reasons could be why I shut down. Well, he called me on it one day. And we're having this back and forth discussion. And I stopped. I just... I sat there quietly. And he turned around and said, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that thing where you sit there and you shut down. Don't do not do that. Don't do that. Talk to me. And he said it like seriously, but there was like a slight like smile to it. And he walked away like to the kitchen And I sat there shook. Because I was like. How did he know? Like how did he know that's what I do? Just the the way he said. No don't do that. Don't do that thing where you shut down and you don't talk. No don't do that. That is when. Uh. Emotional intelligence works for can turn you on. Not literally, but wow. When he said that, I like I was literally shook. I was just like, oh dear God. He really does pay attention to everything. Wow. And I was impressed. Thoroughly, thoroughly impressed. So it it does take some observational skills to really read people, to see how people interact, to see how people communicate and how people function. You can spot who, who does what and why they do what they do. Like there's this one lady, um, trying to leave out details. Oh, oof, this is really hard. Um, some people talk a lot. Other people want to be heard. And they're not the same thing. 
and the wanting to be heard is not a a uh, it's an audible thing it's not a you know I want you to hear where I'm coming from perspective it's a audible perspective like I want you to literally hear me because I crave attention but there's a lady I know who just cannot refrain from making sounds. I know this sounds really weird. And I, I know why she does it. I don't think she knows that she does it. But emotional intelligence, someone who reads people well, me... I get annoyed because I'm like, oh my god, is no one paying attention to you today? But she does it. She does it all the time. And I don't know if people, like I said, I don't know if people pick up on it. But she can't, and I mean cannot, like walk from point A to point B without making a sound. Without drawing some semblance of attention to her. Whether it's a cough, a sneeze, a snide comment, or a comment about a conversation that doesn't involve her. Like, she just has to make a sound. And it is annoying. And it's only annoying because I know why she does it. Like I said, I don't know if she knows that's what she's doing and why she does it, but I do, and I hate it. But tons, I hate it tons. I'm trying to give these examples without naming names or specifics. Um, I know another person who has an inability to be wrong from their perspective. They are constantly, but they won't ever admit it and will change the story so they're not wrong. Like, um... It's just a fake, for example, say this person was like, hey, go to the store and get me three oranges and two limes. And you come back from the store with uh, three oranges and two limes. Nope, bad analogy. Say you go to the store and they tell you to get two oranges, two limes, two lemons. You get back home. You tell them, hey, listen, I only got you four oranges, and, you know, they didn't have any lemons or limes. Nope. Another bad analogy. Hold on. Give me a second. You know what? I can't come up with one. Anywho, they will find a way to change the story to make it fit whatever, so they're not wrong. I don't have an analogy or an example to give you. I'm sorry. But just know it's annoying. Because they can never be wrong. But they won't tell you that. Like, no one rarely confesses 
outwardly what they don't like about themselves. They don't do it deliberately. If it's a physical trait, maybe, like, oh my god, I hate my nose, or, you know, self-deprecating humor aspect. But who they are as a person, most people don't tell you what they don't like about themselves at the core of who they are. Unless, unless it's a way to garner sympathy. Like, I'm always, not me, but if this person was like, I'm always late. But instead of saying, you know, I'm sorry I'm late, it's always an excuse. You know, it's always someone else's fault. Instead of owning the fact that they never leave with enough time to be on time. But it's always, you know, it's always someone else's fault. This is going to turn geeky, but I think a lot of who we are or how we are comes down to or comes from a very comic book type origin story. Like Batman doesn't become Batman if his parents aren't murdered in front of him, right? Spider-Man doesn't become Spider-Man unless he's bitten by the radioactive spider and so on and so forth. Like, rarely in comic books or comic book movies, rarely are people born with some superhuman ability. That's X-Men. That's a different story. But we're going to stick with Marvel right now. <laughs> like, everybody has an origin story. Whether you're a superhero or you're a villain. Right? The Joker becomes the Joker. Or no. The Batman with Jack Nicholson. He becomes the Joker after he falls into the vat of acid or whatever and transforms his face and such and he starts wearing makeup. That's in that movie. Or the new Joker movie that just came out a few months ago. His origin story is he has a broken home, he was adopted, bullied, picked on, mercilessly. He eventually, quote-unquote, went a little crazy and decided to take his own vengeance. Every person has an origin story. Some, Most of our origin stories aren't that dramatic to be superheroes but there's always something like I was saying earlier about my nephew like certain aspects of who you become is how you grew up or who you're around or who you look up to or who mentors you or who raises you unfortunately most people How can I say this? Unfortunately, most people don't 
they don't let go of that origin story. Like, I'm trying to, ooh, it's so hard not to say names. Okay, well, this isn't political, but I'm just going to use him. Trump. Donald Trump. And his sons. Or, no, we'll take Donald and Donald Jr. They are the same person, they just don't know it. Or maybe they do, but probably not. Both their origin stories are the same. In a sense, you know, different generations, but they're two men who have achieved things, but mostly due to their daddy's help, shall we say? However, they're still they're still trying to overcompensate. Because they're still trying to win the approval of said dad. Like, I don't think President Trump, President Trump really got over the fact that technically he was successful, but not as successful as he could have been, should have been. And I think he he never got his pop's approval. Approval, approval. Not to the point where he felt good about it. And the reason I say that is he's constantly bragging and boasting about things. Things that don't really matter. Things that technically aren't really boastworthy. But he makes things up to make himself seem like it's always a positive, but not in a positive way. So, you know, everything has to be the best of this or gold this or we're beating this or we're beating the competition in this or we're doing the most of this. And like when you focus on that, who are you trying to prove that to? Who are you trying to tell that to? Like, are you trying to speak success into existence? Or are you trying to cover from the fact that you can't accept the fact that you're not as good as you think you are? And the same with Don Jr., which, for anybody who's seen the movie The Godfather, Don Jr. is Fredo Corleone. And I know some people get annoyed by that analogy. Like, it's a fictional character. But this fictional character didn't live up to his father's expectations and constantly was seeking validation. And it never worked in his favor. And eventually he went against the family and so on and so forth. Go watch the movie. We tell on ourselves the things we don't like about ourselves or that we don't like ourselves, period. We tell on ourselves. Every news conference, and like I said, I'm not making this political. This is a human behavior analysis. But every press conference, when that man gets up there and talks, like I can't tell you word for word what he's going to say, but I'm, 
I can tell you that he's going to brag and boast about being the best or number one or a normal person with a healthy self-esteem doesn't do that. They just don't. And then the person with a healthy self-esteem who likes themselves, who loves themselves and likes themselves, doesn't constantly feel the need to berate and put down other people. That's another tell. He would be horrible at poker. If you constantly have to put other people down to lift yourself up, you don't think very highly of yourself. Not in its entirety. I think a lot of the frustration, I think a lot of the world's problems, societal problems, stem from the fact that a lot of us have really crappy origin stories. And instead of working through those crappy circumstances that made us become something we don't like, we don't work through it. We don't examine it. And this goes back to the emotional intelligence and self-awareness. We don't examine those things and say, hey, you know what? Maybe I'm doing this too much. Maybe I'm doing this too much. I need to talk to somebody and work through it. No, we don't do that. We don't do that at all. We, we let our origin stories dictate how we function for decades. And it may push people away and they do all sorts of negative things to your life. And we, we don't let go of that origin story. And it sucks. I'm I'm a I am a an abuser of that too. Hence the podcast. I'm trying to work through all this stuff. And it's it's hard. Self awareness and, and trying to fix oneself is hard work. It's a lot of self reflecting. It's a lot of being honest and truthful. It's a lot of seeing how your actions and words affect other people. In my case, it's my silence, how that affects other people, and how it affects myself. And I don't, I don't like it. Clearly, I don't like it. I don't like the fact that I don't speak up for myself. In instances, and I know why I don't, it's taken me some years, but I know why I don't do it. I haven't fixed it yet, but at least I can recognize this is the issue. I know why this is an issue. I just need to work on fixing it. You know, when, you, when you're around people that criticize you constantly. I saw a quote where it says, um, parents, 
how you talk to your kids when they're little becomes their inner voice when they're older. Remember a few episodes ago, I talked about um, the cleats I wanted, and I never buy myself anything nice, or rarely buy myself anything nice that's not food related, um, because I can hear my pops, you know, saying you don't need, you know, hundred and whatever dollar shoes. That that's my internal voice. Actually, I have two voices because I have two parents. So when I want to buy myself something nice, my dad kicks in. And when I'm doing a myriad of other functions, my mom's voice kicks in. Like, it's difficult to navigate that. So when you have this inner voice that's not your own, that's been affected or that's been ingrained in you, it's hard to fix that. You know, it's hard to break that wall down. It's hard to be able to say, I do what I want. You know, when you're, when you're, when your existence has been criticized, has been why didn't you do it this way? You need to do it this way. You should have did it this way. That's wrong. How come you did this? Why didn't you do this? Do it like this next time. It's hard to formulate a positive internal voice or it's hard to fight back to that. Because the the dynamic that taught you that or you learned from never allowed you to voice uh, an opinion or an argument to what they were saying. If the if the critical person is the person with authority, and they use that authority to stifle you. How do you think that's going to manifest later on in life? Whenever you're met with a challenge where you need to say something or, you know, say something back that might not be received well, you had all these years of someone stifling that. Your natural reaction is you're going to stifle yourself further. And that's what I do. Now, sometimes I speak up. But, you know, it's it doesn't come out the way it... If I do speak up, it doesn't come out the way it should. And I, I don't like it. Because the, the number of people that should have gotten cussed out in my lifetime is astronomical, but you know I try to chalk it up in a positive light, say, you know parents raised me right they're lucky, they're lucky my parents raised me right, otherwise you know, this would've been a problem that's what I tell myself, or that's what I tell the world, but in reality that's not the case 
me being raised right only applies to, you know, helping old ladies across the street or, you know, putting the buggy back at the cart at the grocery store or, you know, letting elderly people and kids eat food at the, you know, at the cookout first before, you know, those type of things. But not telling someone about themselves when they've clearly disrespected me or insulted me or misjudged me or questioned my work that does nothing but harm. And like I said about the friend, the poke the bear friend, I do that thing where I shut down. I bite my tongue. And I've said it before previously. I said part of the reason part of the reason why I'm fat is because I've had to swallow so much blood and eat so many words over the years. And I've I've joked saying if I actually started to speak my mind more often to more people, you know, maybe this week will start to melt off of me. But it's holding on to me because I'm holding in so much that it manifests itself in physical fat. You know what I mean? I don't know if that's some type of therapy breakthrough, but I think so. But, you know, like G.I. Joe, knowing is half the battle. So I just came up with that and thought about it and came up with that. But how do I do it? How do I do I just start telling people off? Do I just start talking back to people? Is that what I'm supposed to do? Am I supposed to be, you know, the smart ass that I repress myself to be? supposed to just let it fly and throw caution to the wind I don't know and that goes back to my original point it's because I don't know how to do that I've never been taught to speak up I've always been pushed and stifled and You only know what you've been taught unless you teach yourself something new. But like I said, we cling to our origin stories. And unless you are willing to, you know, engage in some therapy or, you know, a lengthy podcast where you talk about your problems, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to figure out a way to fix it or to work on it. I think there's a lot of people that don't like themselves.
I remember one time uh, a few years ago, I, had, I told a friend of mine, I said, you know, I have three flaws. I may have mentioned it on this podcast, too. So I have, I have three flaws. Like three things I don't like about myself. And I was like, I'm overweight. I'm not overly feminine. And I'm not very good with money. Those are my three things. Those are the three core pieces that I don't truly like about myself. Now I'm getting better with the money part. But the other two, the other two go hand in hand. Unfortunately. If someone told you there's three things about you that you need to change and you'd be perfect or you'd be great. How fast would you go to fix them? What lengths would you go to fix those three things? Seems obvious, right? Not good with money. Okay. That's the easy fix. Find someone, a financial advisor or someone who is good with money and help them have them help you formulate a budget and savings and, you know, maybe you know, some small investments and so on and so forth. Sounds about right, right? That's easy. Okay, you don't find yourself overly feminine and sexy. Okay, okay. Well, what constitutes sexy to you? Is it a certain type of figure? Is it a certain type of movement? Is it a certain kind of confidence, uh, an air about you, the way you walk in a room? What constitutes sexy? If it's body shape, then we'll mosey on to flaw number three, which is, you know, like your body, which, like I said, one and two kind of coincide. Okay, so you don't like your body, right? Easy, simple. You're fat and you're overweight. You're chubby. Morbidly obese. You have health issues that stem from your excessive weight. Okay. Logic says change the way you eat. Eat more vegetables and fruits. You know, get down to a, a caloric deficit so you're eating less foods than you're, or you're eating less calories than you're burning. Or you're burning more calories than you're eating. Uh, make sure you up your protein. Exercise. Cardio, weights, weights will help boost your metabolism and increase your muscle mass and uh, even though muscle and fat weigh the same, they take up a different amount of space in your body. So you would rather want to transform your body from, you know, 50% fat to 20% fat and drink lots of water to stay hydrated because... Your body's 80% water, so on and so forth. And since you don't feel sexy, well, craft your body, sculpt your body into what you think is sexy. If it's a, you know, an hourglass shape, then 
You try to you try to exercise and lose weight. And try to tailor your body that way. If you want a fat tush, you do a lot of leg and glute exercises to round out the tush. Same with arms and push-ups to try to lift up the girls. Sounds simple, right? Like, I just broke it down for you. That's all I got to do to change. It's three things. Three flaws. And I just spent two minutes breaking down how I could fix them all. Have I? Do I? No. I don't. Because part of me still holds on to my origin story. Part of me if we're being honest, part of me part of me besides not knowing um, not knowing how life would be on the other side so you stick with what's comfortable even though you hate it or you dislike it it's what you know you know you can either choose the devil you know or the devil you don't know and every day that I don't exercise every day that I eat chicken wings every day where I eat you know a giant stack of pancakes and bacon every day I don't drink enough water I am choosing the devil that I know. Because I, I know fat. I know how to be fat. I don't like it. But I, that's all I know. That's all I've known since 1995. And even 1995 me wasn't even that big. I would kill to be 1995 me. That was wearing like extra large t-shirts. And, you know, I think I wore like a size eight and a half shoe still. I would kill to be 1995 me. And I didn't like 1995 me. Not to the levels I don't like 40-year-old me. It was still infant levels of dislike then. Now we're at like PhD levels of disdain for parts of me. But yeah, and I got picked on then. And I wasn't even that big. I would kill to be that right now. But the part that makes it tricky, it always goes back to that age-old question about if you knew then what you know now, how would things be different? If I if I had the knowledge and the wisdom that I have at forty, if I had that at fourteen or fifteen, no, oh, ninety-five, I would have been sixteen. If I had that then. My God. But the only reason I have it is because I've lived all these years. I've been through some things. I've seen some things. So you know 15, 16 year old me hadn't experienced too many losses couple of aunts and uncles at that point 
I still have my grandmother. Oh, wait, both grandmothers? Both grandmothers and my grandfather on my dad's side. Most of my aunts and uncles. On both sides. Except for a couple. But, like, I just rattled off how I could fix the three things in my life that I don't like. And every day I choose not to do those things. Or, excuse me, every day I don't choose to do those things every day. There's some days I do, but I'm not consistent. Because, like I said, I'm more comfortable with the devil I know than the devil I don't know. One of my biggest fears, one of my undercover biggest fears is I lose the weight. Like, I finally get to, you know, like a buck 70. I lose, I, you know, I work hard, I'm consistent, I actually lose the weight. And my life doesn't change. That's my one of my undercover biggest fears. As I lose the weight, the confidence goes up. I still don't get the guy. I'm still single with the world's longest drought streak. Like that's my fear because. In in my head now, the only thing that's holding me back from, you know, the guys I'm interested in or attracted to is my weight. It's because I'm chubby. Have they said that? No. But it doesn't take a genius to figure it out. So I've said, you know, well, if I just lost the weight, and then I'd be confident, and then, you know, boom. And my fear is that's not true. And it scares me. And I don't like to think about it, and I certainly don't like to talk about it. Because I can't. I've... I've lived my entire life with the fact that just be yourself and people will like you. And I've tried. You know, I've I've been my traditionally tomboyish self. And I was, you know, before the chub, I was a confident tomboy. You couldn't tell me nothing. And that still didn't get the boys because I didn't look like all the pretty, delicate girls. All the pretty, delicate girls always got the boys. Even though all the boys liked me as a friend and someone to play sports with and hang out and talk to and, you know, talk sports and random stuff. But I was never the girl that, you know, so-and-so likes you. 
I didn't I didn't get that. Even when I was skinny, flat chested, you know, muscular twelve year old. That was you know looking for her first little, you know, middle school or sixth grade boyfriend or whatever you wanna call it. I'm like, oh, well, all right, it didn't work at 12. No, 15, I'm still myself. Still being myself. Why doesn't any, why don't any of the boys like me? I'm doing what everyone says. Be comfortable with who you are and like who you are and be you. And that didn't work. And that didn't work enough times where I turned to food for comfort. And by the time I got to college or graduated college, I I wasn't overly successful with the guys in college either. So what's that tell you? So maybe the formula is a little off. So, you know, they told me, well, okay, then you can't be you. You could be parts of you, but you got to put, you got to put your best foot forward. And none of the feet that you have are your best foot. So, I told myself if I lost the weight, I'm charming enough, I'm funny enough. I don't have any kids. Yeah. Haven't been around the world, if you know what I mean. Like, I'm quote-unquote good girl. At least that's what, you know, that's what I tell myself. Like, if I just lost the weight, how could, you know, how could I be single? So that's what I focus on. So I just need to figure out a way to lose the weight. And the world will open up to me. Like, my chubbiness is... My chubbiness is part armor. It is part camouflage. It is part... Insulation, and I don't mean it like funny. Um, it's a protectant, or at least I thought. You know, being a tomboy and not liking to wear dresses because girls who wear dresses garnered a certain amount of attention, and I don't mean that negatively, I just mean, oh, look at you, you look so cute, and it was, I'm like, ah, I don't want you to focus on that, I want you to focus on who I am, and not the fact that I have this frilly dress on, but, you know, I didn't listen, but that's what the world focused on, so, naturally, I rebelled, I didn't like wearing dresses.
there's levels to this. There are a lot of levels to this. And like I said, origin story. And the thing is, with origin stories, it's not just one. You know, in the comic books, it's one. You know, one tragic or one one life-altering event happens and it sets you on a different course. Nah, in regular life, there's multiple origin stories. Like I just talked about. <laughs> My woe is me personal life story that I just shared. That's one origin story. Like, and all those experience, experiences shaped me and shaped a certain narrative in my head that I don't like. Which brings me back to my original point. Do you like yourself? Do you like who you are? Do you like what you've become? Do you love who you are? Do you love yourself? And if you don't, how do you learn? How do you learn to change the narrative? How do you learn how to get off the the path that the only path that you've known? Because the path that I'm on, I'm walking backwards on my path. Because I can't, I can't foresee what's coming. I don't see anything of what's coming. I've got my back turned on the future and I'm walking backwards but I'm looking at the past constantly looking at the past where I messed up how I messed up who did I mess up with why did I do that why didn't I fix it why didn't I fix it sooner why did this happen to me why couldn't this have happened to me Oh, look, you messed up there. Oh, look, this is where you slipped up there. Oh, look, that's where you screwed up there. Constantly looking backwards from whence I came. Rarely with an eye on the future. I'm moving forward, technically, but I'm walking backwards. So I'm going blindly forward, or I have been going blindly forward, not knowing what I'm going to trip up on, not knowing where the, you know, where the ledges, not knowing what's coming towards me, not seeing signs. I'm constantly looking back and seeing and focusing on the things I don't like. 
whether they be experiences, whether they be interactions, whether they be a lack of action, I'm always looking back. Because back is familiar. I know what's behind me. Or technically, in this case, in front of me. Because I'm walking backwards. When I was a kid, I think I might have told this story. We, we drove down south every year for 4th of July family reunion and for Christmas. Um, or maybe not every year, but almost every year. Depending on, especially Christmas was depending on the weather. But nine times out of ten we drove. This one particular year. Now, we had done this, I don't know how many times, right? So I feel like we should all know the way to go. Now, I'm a little kid. I'm 9, 10, or 11. I can't remember. You know, my dad's a man's man, or was a man's man. I'll drive most of the way, but I'm going to eventually get tired. Uh, You know, honey, you take over and get us to whatever, and I'll get up and drive us the rest of the way. She almost turned on the wrong exit. And I'm like, he told you the way to go. How many times have you taken this route? Like, how did you... You almost ended in Chattanooga, the complete opposite way we were trying to go. And I never let my mother forget this story. Because that was the day my faith in her driving capabilities died. Because I didn't trust her to know the way to go. Now it's my little kid brain thinking, how do you not know the way to go? We go this way all the time. You should know which way to go. Now me at 40, who's made you know, the trip from New York to Alabama several times... Okay, you get tired. The interstate it just runs on and sheesh, you know. You could get confused. But ten year old me was like, dude He said forty west, not forty east. Howard just no. I never let her live it down. Never. Never, 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 never. There's a point to that story. Oh, what was the point to that story? Knowing where to go. I can't remember the point of that story. The point of that story was knowing which way to go. No, it's gone. It's gone because it's late and I, my brain is not functioning anymore. I wish I could button this up in a nice bow and bring it back full circle, but sorry, I don't have a nice poignant way to end this today.
Otherwise, I'm going to have like a three-hour episode, and you people won't listen. I guess I'll I'll end I'll end it how I started it and how I've repeated it numerous times. Do you like who you are? Do you like yourself? Do you know the ways in which you show the world how you don't like yourself? Is it a lack of confidence in your abilities? Is it a lack of confidence in your uh, intelligence? Is it a lack of confidence, self-esteem in your in your body image? Do you not speak up for yourself? Do you do you not listen to people? Do you talk over people? Do you constantly need to be heard? Do you constantly need to be busy? Do you have an incessant need to, to be perfect and plan? What is it about yourself that you don't like? Really think about that. Think about the ways you don't, and the ways in which you don't like yourself. And what do you think you can do to fix it? If, if you can fix it. Or if you need professional help like I do. I think we all need therapy, but that's just me. But I know I definitely do. <sighs> do you like yourself? Do you love yourself? Do you dislike yourself enough to change what you don't like? That's the question.